is straight to the source, your destination for food, views and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality and agribusiness leaders. Hello and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward. Whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture. And we want you to know who they are, their views and their big ideas. We're coming to you today from Gadigal land and we'd like to begin by paying our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here with us today. And today is a special episode for three reasons. First, we have a fantastic guest and innovative mushroom farmer, Will Musset. Second, this is episode 20, the final episode in our first series of Food Views and Big Ideas. And last but not least, we're going to be at Fine Food Australia Expo in Melbourne from September 5th through the 8th, running a bunch of cooking demos, food industry workshops, and heaps of other fun stuff in the Source Kitchen. So hop on to our brand new website to get some more details about that. And while you're doing that, Lucy and I will be busy capturing more great conversations to bring you in Series 2. Now time to get to today's episode where I had the chance to catch up with Will, whose family farm in New South Wales is setting the bar very high in the sustainability stakes. Well, hi, Will. It's so good to have you on here. Um, Will Musset from Musset Holdings is a regenerative farmer based down in the Southern Highlands. Yeah, that's right. We're uh, tucked away down here on 100 acres. And we're doing this podcast, but let's talk about how we're able to do it when you're living off the grid. Um, basically, yeah, it is satellite pretty much. Um, that was our, our sort of our only viable option. And uh, we're, we're in an area that the government decided that we desperately needed internet and there was never going to be any physical cables put in the ground to us. So they actually paid for us to get a satellite dish, which was great. Awesome. Can you tell us about regener- your regenerative farm in the Southern Highlands? Sure. So we, um, our journey started with our pastured eggmobiles. Uh, we use them to rotate around the paddocks and kickstart the biology that just wasn't there after the old, uh, the old owners who run a large-scale cattle stud had, uh, had sort of left things in a bit of disrepair. So on the front page of the Herald today, it said um, that there was a egg shortage. Yeah, I've seen lots of articles relating to that at the moment. Um, there's a lot of things that go into what happens in the egg industry, and it's uh, there's a lot of political stuff. There's a lot of environmental stuff. There's um, lots of game playing. Um, at the end of the day, even though we are you know, and there are a lot of us now who are classed as pastured and, and using chickens to regenerate their farms. Um, even though we are in a completely separate sort of area to your standard cage or barn raised, we're, unfortunately those guys still control the majority of the market. So we're all subject to changes that they, 
they sort of uh, kickstart, which is a little bit frustrating, but that's okay. Well, on your farm right now, you have you have your pasture-raised eggs, you have your raw honey, you've got your oyster mushrooms and gourmet mushrooms. That's right. Am I missing anything? No, no. We um we we do have other animals. Uh, we have sheep and goats, um, but they're they're not really part of the business. They're actually there for the regenerating side of the farm. So we use those animals to go into areas of the farm that I can't take the chicken caravans because of terrain or, um, well, it's mostly terrain. Well, let's start by talking about ethical farming. I've heard you mention that quite a few times. And, what, you know, what does that mean to you? Look, ethical farming's – look, I, the way I see it is diversity uh, creates stability in farming. You know, it, there's, there's no way we would ever be a farm that just – has laying hands you know that's not regenerative that's that's mass scale you know if, if you can't offset that by you know letting other enterprises do what they need to do to help that regenerating process then it's just one leg to a table but it also means that you're you're caught making decisions that you might not want to make you know if, if things get difficult you might have to compromise because that is your only avenue of income so ethical farming for me is having multiple legs to the table. So if, if things get difficult with the chickens, I don't have to compromise. I don't have to bring in chemicals that would then stabilize that arm of the farm. I can let them wind down if I need to, and I can let the mushrooms and the honey um, and some vegetables, I can let them pick up the slack that the chickens make. So I don't have to make a, a decision that means that I would need to step in and um, yeah, use nasty chemicals on the chickens or, or vice versa with the mushrooms or the bees. You know, they're, they're, it allows me to continue without chemicals, continue regenerating, and if one side of the business needs to slow down for whatever reason, it can. You're really going with the ebb and flow of nature. Isn't that the idea? That's right. And it, it, for example, with the chickens, it means, you know, if, if it does come time, you know, that they need to have a break because of molting or because of the weather, you know, I'm not going to get out there and try and, force them to lay more eggs like it's it's not the way it works so how long have you had the farm uh we've had this property for about six years now um and it's you and your wife and children yeah no we, we are we're all working on the farm including the children as much as they complain yeah did you and your wife grow up on a property no we didn't um neither of us come from farming backgrounds um and none of our family have been farmers it's um it's just something that sort of not fell into our lap but it more or less did um we bought the property yeah about six years ago and we didn't intend to become farmers we just knew that we wanted space to you know to to experiment to try different things to teach the children on an outdoor lifestyle and uh, all of our farming enterprises have more or less been suggested to us it's something that we've thought well we'll sure we'll have a go at that and things have just always progressed from there. So you weren't um, accidental farmers, you were more intentional. Um, we were intentional farmers, just not necessarily intentional egg, mushroom <laughs> or honey farmers. Um, we, yeah, they, the, the chickens uh, literally came as a suggestion from a friend who was already a farmer and um, he had a sort of an organic 
cattle farm and he had this old chicken caravan and he said, look, he said, I, I love having the chickens and I need the eggs when I go to farmer's markets, but I don't have time to look after them. Can you take it on? He said, I'll buy every egg you produce and see how we go. So we did that and we had 15 that went, we, yeah, now we've got 1,500. So who is your customer? Who is my customer? Um, uh, I guess they're, they're all different depending on the kinds of products that we produce. Um, our eggs are mostly families, households. Um, there is some restaurants and cafes, but we, from the first time we started producing eggs, we knew that we didn't really want to go out and find a lot of restaurants and cafes and wholesalers. We went straight for home deliveries around the Southern Highlands. So, and it's, yeah, it's just exploded from there. Now we've got a really good customer base. Is it the same for the gourmet mushrooms as well? No. Um, we do, they are included in our home delivery service, but by volume, most of them go to restaurants and cafes. And what about the honey? Uh, honey's a bit of both. Honey, the, we do have uh, quite a few retailers that have really been supporting us a lot. Um, but a lot of it does go direct to homes as well. But you've introduced the native beehives to the property, have you? Uh, no, it's not native beehives. They're traditional Langstroth hives. Um, that's native honey because they're feeding on native plants. Got it. Okay. Yeah, not native bees. Thank you for clarifying that because that's um that's an important <laughs> important issue to clarify, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, bit of a difference there, yeah. So how many hives do you have right now on the property? Uh, it's 40. Okay. And is that something you're going to continue to grow? Um, I don't think uh, unless, we, unless we do a lot of planting, um, more or less the, the amount of flowers and available food for the bees, 40 is about the right number at the moment. Um, any more and I'd probably have to start feeding them sugar water or, or supplements. Uh, and I'd rather not do that. It's, I'd rather just, like I was saying before about ethical farming, like we've had, you know, a couple of really bad honey producing years. Uh, and for us from a business, if, although we do sell honey, that's okay. If it means for two years I'm harvesting very little, I'm fine with that. I have no problem. I'm happy to leave them there and leave them be and let them re recover themselves. And then when there's honey available, fantastic. I don't rely on them producing honey, so I don't need to make a difficult decision. You live totally off the grid and you're running your farm that way. When we bought the property, um, we never intended to be off the grid. It's, it's just the, the position that we knew we wanted to start our infrastructure was so far away from Maine's power that it was completely unviable for us to be grid connected. Um, so we, at that time, it was a difficult decision, um, but now I realise that it really wasn't. We chose to go off grid at that point. Um, so there, there is no connection to anything on the farm. There's no power, water, phone, uh, septic system. It, it's all, it's all self managed from the farm. And as we've expanded the farm production, we have had to increase our, our, um, our energy systems. But it's, it's never, it, it might have slowed us down, 
uh, a little bit on our production, but it's never stopped us from doing anything. What would you say to other farmers that are listening to this podcast and they're going, hmm, I'd like to learn more. I'd like to learn more about how how Will is, you know, using wind and solar resources, how you're managing it and how you're able to expand it. Yeah, I, I would say that, look, it's, it, it, as I said, it's never stopped us from doing anything. And I, I don't think it would. Um, the biggest power consumer on the farm is our cool room at the moment. The mushrooms we've... We've experimented and, and we've changed our systems and we've got that to be very power efficient. Um, but it, again, it, it, it's never stopped us from doing anything. It's, you know, off-grid is, is very possible in a fully uh, functioning farm. So you're mushroom growing. So how many different varieties of mushrooms and why mushrooms? How did that come to be? Um, it came to be really because of the chickens it's you know it we we had at the time we had three mobile caravans with chickens we're rotating them around the farm and in spring and summer the grass on the ground is just you know exploding with pasture so thick that we have to actually mow it before we put the chicken caravan on the next spot because it is just so thick you'd lose all the chickens in it you, you wouldn't be able to see them so uh, at the time, we were doing just that. We were mowing the grass, leaving it there in piles and just letting the chickens basically play with it and it was breaking back down to the paddock, which is totally fine. But I, uh, luckily, uh, a friend of the family stopped past who was a mycologist and he was just travelling through and he saw what we were doing and he suggested to us, he said, what if I can show you how to collect that grass that you're mowing on the ground and use it to grow mushrooms? And at the time, we had no idea you could do that. So we said, yeah, look, we'll, we'll have a go. We'll, we'll have a try. And it's, yeah, it, it just grew from there. And it, it, was, it was such an amazing thing to be able to produce one thing on the farm from another. And, and mushrooms happen so quickly. So it's, it's been fantastic. It's, it's actually been fantastic to see your name um, pop up on more and more menus as well. So I imagine when you first started growing your mushrooms, how did you get them in the hands of chefs and hospitality? We, we did already have a sort, of, a sort of foot in the door in that, in that area with the, with the eggs. Not that we were supplying a lot to, to Sydney, but it, it did sort of help us get started. Um, but we're... We're very lucky in the fact that um, really as soon as we started promoting the fact that we could supply restaurants, we got noticed by a couple of influential people and it, it sort of just took off from there. Um, I think it, it's possibly a good chunk of right place, right time. So how have attitudes changed and perceptions, I guess, since you've been farming regeneratively and off the grid? Like, have the attitudes changed over the last six years from a consumer's perspective or even from chefs? Yeah, I'd say so. We are seeing more and more people actually come looking for people, you know, farming the way we are. And, and there are a, a number of us now, which is fantastic. And there seem to be, and more and more people are interested. Um, we are getting a lot of calls to say, hey, you know, we want to set something up. You know, can we come and have a look? And that is is fantastic. It's, it's great. So I'd say it, it's... It's becoming 
more and more front of mind for for farmers and for chefs. You know, we we do see them sort of trying to to find these people uh, who are producing this way. Well, we'll have all of your details, obviously, in the show notes, and then you're on all the social channels as well. But the single biggest issue that you're facing in your business right now, what would that be? Because there's a lot happening in the food scene when you look at um, biosecurity and supply chain. So what what would your biggest issue be today? I see our biggest issue today at the moment as actually as wastage is all the rooms. It's a big part of what you need to do as part of producing mushrooms involves uh, plastic. Um and it's, it's a difficult thing to get away from. So our biggest focus for the last six months, and it's probably going to take us another six months, is trying to create uh, a machine, uh, a process to um, eliminate that need for the plastic. It's, it's sterility with mushrooms is really important. And the, a lot of the industry use plastic to keep their substrate clean. Um, and it's it's at a huge cost. It's you know it, it the amount of plastic waste from the mushroom industry is just huge. It's horrendous. Um, but it's going to take some very clever engineering to to sort of solve that problem on a big scale. It's very easy to avoid it in a home scale, but in a commercial sense, it's it's very difficult. And is that your ultimate goal? Is to to grow and, and scale up? It may be based on the amount of labor that we want to bring in, the amount of, uh, the amount of pasture that we can grow ourselves. The, you know, the, there will be some limits to that. But, yeah, we're still definitely we're still increasing. Um, and at the moment we're producing about 250 kilos a week. But, and I'd like to get to 350 kilos in the next couple of months. So can you, can you explain to me the mushroom flavor profile and what you're looking for aesthetically? Because chefs are, are just, you know, going crazy over some, some of the, um, the mushrooms you're delivering to Sydney. And I imagine that they might be being a bit more specific on what they're requesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, mushrooms are a very particular a particular item so the thing that's taken me the longest time with growing mushrooms is is to create that consistency to know that i can produce 250 kilos a week of the same quality of mushroom every week and that's taken the longest for me to do it's it's balancing your your systems creating the right amount of humidity the right amount of airflow the right amount of light so on and so forth but We've got that down pat now. I'm really happy with that. So we produce five different varieties of mushrooms, uh, a white oyster, blue, pink, yellow, and lion's mane. So it's – and they're all – even all the oysters, they're all – even though they are all classed as oyster mushrooms, they are all a different texture and a different taste, um, and they have their own unique visual appeal. 
They sure do. I absolutely love them. And, you know, you look at them and it's like living art. You know, they're just so beautiful. And you go, okay, well, we're going to have to eat you. <laughs> they're just so tasty. Yeah, right. um, but the, it, the way you present them is, is incredibly beautiful, too. And you really are limiting the amount of plastic and looking at every aspect of your packaging, too, aren't you? We're trying to, yeah. So it's luckily enough that some of the best ways to store mushrooms in the fridge or in the cool room or however is actually in uncoated cardboard because it does allow that bit of breathing, which is, which is great because it means we, we don't need to use plastic. Uh, one of the other things we do is we refuse to use preservatives on these. So it's a lot of the industry just spray them with chlorine because that is a preservative for mushrooms. Now, that, that does change things for us. What it means we've got to work a bit harder and we've got to be on the ball in getting them out fresh to the restaurant. But typically, I can only keep them in my cool room for a maximum of three days, and that means that whoever I'm delivering them to has at least a week. Right, okay. So they grow quite quickly, but they deteriorate quite quickly too once you harvest them. Yes, that's true, yeah. They, they, do, they do grow very quickly. If you've got your, your setup running properly, then the time that they start growing to the time that you're harvesting them is about four days. Right. Okay. So it's, which is fantastic. But if you get something wrong, you can wreck them just as quickly. And through trial and error, I'm sure you've experienced that, especially in the early days. Uh, I continue to have error um, and... Certainly, uh, it's it's we always chalk it up to a learning experience, but um, yeah, there, there certainly has been, and I'm sure there will be. Well, your farm is located what an hour and ten minutes from Sydney. Is that right, or is it further than that? No, for the most part, that's right. Yes, and I know you you open your farm gate for for chefs to come and and understand, you know, to get an appreciation of what goes into the ingredients that you're growing. And you do that on a semi-regular basis, is that right? That's right, we do, yeah. Um, we, we've had some great groups come through and it's, it's always fantastic to, to see the understanding uh, on their face when they come in and, and see it all and how it's happening. And then when we show up with a box of mushrooms at their restaurant, it's, uh, yeah, there's all that bit more appreciation for what's coming. Well, you and I, we've, we've been chatting for quite some time. We will be doing a Straight to the Source tour there one, one of these days, and um, we're very much looking forward to it. If you're listening to this and you're any of the chefs that have come on our tours, we, um, yeah, we'll make sure that everyone knows when we're, we're heading down to your farm. Yeah, that sounds great. Is there anything in particular that you would like to talk about um, that we could address like, is there, is there a particular issue that you would like to address on this podcast? It is food views and big ideas. And what you're doing is a very ambitious big idea that you've brought to life. Do you have another big idea in the works? We do. We have a lot of plans to, to expand our productions into complementary farming practices. So our next project is actually microgreens. So we wanted to do microgreens for a long time, but we've we've usually not had the time to to run it or to set it up. And the main reason I want to do microgreens is one, it's complementary to the mushrooms uh, in multiple ways. Is mushrooms are like us; they use oxygen, they produce CO two. 
Microgreens are your typical photosynthesizing plant. They use CO2 and produce oxygen. So the, but the tricky part is getting them to work in harmony because there are a few differences. Mushrooms obviously want a really high humidity. Microgreens don't want a really high humidity. So there's a couple of challenges there, but we've worked out how we can overcome those. And so the next step will be just expanding our production facility to include microgreens and plumb them in. So we're literally taking the microgreen air and pushing that through the mushroom rooms. And, uh, and the difference we've seen from experimentation is phenomenal in the mushrooms. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really Just, excited about that too. That sounds amazing. So then when you come to yeah. town and you're doing your deliveries, then you just have more in your portfolio to offer the chefs as well. That's right. It's, um, and it's, it, it will be good because it is a, a style of farming that is very similar to mushrooms. So it's, it should work in with our systems really nicely. So what's your timetable now? Like are you delivering once a week or twice a week? And where are you delivering from? I mean, two, sorry. Where are you delivering to? Um, we, we're delivering at the moment two to three times a week. Um, we do a Monday delivery. When we can, we'll do a Wednesday, but definitely a Thursday. So usually it gives us that opportunity for, for deliveries and it, it covers the restaurant or the chef for, for the weekend and gets them through the next Monday. And are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying the process? Uh, I am indeed. Um, like... Like all enterprises, you know, it has its stressful times, but I wouldn't change anything. There's no way. Um, what did you do before you and your wife moved down to the Southern Highlands? Were you in the food industry? No, no, not at all. Um, I come from a timber fabrication, so I'm a furniture maker by trade, and my wife, yeah, she comes out of the corporate banking world. So, yeah, almost the complete opposite end of the scale. So it's, uh, it, it's been a, yeah, big learning curve. But, yeah, we, we wouldn't go back. There's no way. What a fabulous story. Here, you know, you've you picked up your life. You've moved to the country. You've taken a huge chance. And you've basically chartered this new way of life and then kind of looped back and dip in and out of the city. But you're living off the grid and actually um, mindfully growing food that's being plated up to the consumer. And, and look, it's, it, it's been really good. We're very lucky uh, in the position we are in the Highlands. That it's, it's, although when you're on the farm, we could be anywhere. You know, we're, we're as isolated as we want to be, but I can jump in the car and I can be at the restaurant door in under an hour and a half. So... I'm really in a in a good spot to be able to do what we need to do, um, but still be connected to the outside world. Recipe inspiration. Are you working with chefs or how are you um, talking to your customers with regards to recipe inspiration? Or do you have some recipe inspiration for us? It, it's it's funny. They um so many people that we, we deliver our mushrooms to at first, they're really intimidated by them because, uh, as you said, you know, they, they look like little works of art and um, they look at them and go, oh, gee, I, I love them but I'm scared about <laughs> doing the wrong thing. You know, I don't want to wreck them. And we have, the biggest thing we say to people is, you know, it's, it's not what you do with them. The mushroom itself is the star. 
Yep. You do anything you want to do. Uh, but I can guarantee you of that 250 kilos a week that we deliver out or we produce, probably at least 200 of that end up being fried in oil or butter with some garlic, with some salt and pepper on it and put on a really nice piece of bread. I can tell you the majority of them, that's how they end up. And it's, I can tell you now, my family eat a lot of mushrooms that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite too. Plus they just, they do played up so beautifully, you know, and the other day you and I were talking about the sizes and how they do vary and they do grow quite quickly, but the demand from chefs at the moment, is it for the smaller size or are they getting a variety or do you have to educate chefs on how to utilize the larger size? Uh, we do. It, 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 traditionally, it is a bit more difficult to, for chefs to deal with the larger sort of more individual mushrooms and, and that's usually around portioning and I completely understand that. So most of what we grow is actually and it's more versatile, but I do also grow some very large individual oyster mushrooms and that's specifically usually for a vegan restaurant who is looking to use it as a meat replacement. So so they could be like cut into steaks or something like that? That's absolutely right, yeah. Um, they can be used for all sorts of things. It can be a, a, a mushroom burger, it could be a steak, it could be um, usually some giant kebabs, which are amazing. Um, You're making me hungry. <laughs> there's all sorts of uses. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're lucky in the fact that our systems do allow us to have control over that. So I can, I can grow small mushrooms and I can grow the same mushroom in a much larger size. So it's, it's been good to have that versatility. And how are you marketing it? Like how can chefs and, and consumers alike, households, how can they get in touch? How can they find you? Um, as we talked about before, we, we are on all the social media platforms. Um, we do have a website. Yeah, our home delivery systems do run all through the website. Um, but at the moment, we've only got the resources to do home deliveries around the Southern Highlands. We may do, do home deliveries for us in Sydney. But as far as chefs go, yeah, pretty much everybody contacts us directly and we're more than happy to go and bring some samples in and, and go and have a chat. Well, we'll make sure when when this particular um, episode gets published, um, this is episode 20 and this is the last of our first series. So um, I'm excited to have you on because, um, yeah, this is like going off on a big high. Um if we could ask another farmer or somebody in industry or anybody actually um, that you would like to listen to on our next series of Food Views and Big Ideas, who who would it be? Who would you like to hear from? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think that the there are some local market gardeners who do an absolutely amazing job down here um, and I've only really just become aware of them. Um, there's a farm called Duckfoot Farm mm -hmm. and he uses a no-till system on a land share agreement and he does an amazing job. And I know he's up to three farms now, three completely separate premises, all land share, all producing amazing vegetables. The sort of stuff that I'd love to be able to do myself but um, – mm. 
he just does it so well and makes it look easy. Uh, and his name is uh, Justin Hartley from right. Duckfoot Farm, and it's yeah, I, I think he's he's got a lot to offer, and I would love to love to see him um, him on a podcast like this, explaining how he does it. All right. Yes, well, we will definitely reach out to him. So thanks, Will, yeah. for coming on. And um, keep on keeping on doing such an amazing job and look forward to um, seeing you soon. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.